Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast, coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, just me tonight. Aaron is. Uh, off out in the Colorado Rockies doing some sort of important work stuff or whatever he's doing. Um, so tonight we've we're having uh, we're going to kind of continue what we've been doing for a bunch of shows um, here and there, talking about about communities and community managers. And and we've been very lucky to have a bunch of really good community managers, uh, especially around open source projects over the years. So folks like Mark Hinkle and Sarah Novotny and uh, you know Robin Bergeron and a whole bunch of others. And tonight. Uh, we're very lucky to have yet another really, really good uh, community manager and somebody who's unbelievably passionate about open source and communities and stuff. So excited to have Nathan Harvey on with us. Uh, Nathan, community manager for Chef. Um, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Brian. It's uh, it's awesome to be here. Um, we should also say, uh, you know, Nathan, a, a lot of folks we have on the show, um, you know, regular jobs. They do what they do. They come on the podcast. They're always a little bit nervous. Nathan runs one of the really, really good podcasts that's out there. Um, very DevOps focused. He's been doing it for a long time. So um, if you want to dive into some of the DevOps stuff, which I know a lot of you guys do, go check out his podcast, uh, Food Fight Show. Um, does an awesome job. They get they get really into stuff, a lot of hands-on things, a lot of you know what's going on in the real world. So um, that one's excellent. Um, so how are you, man? Where are you today? Because I know you're always traveling around. Yeah, that's great. Well, I'm coming to you from the amazing, brilliant Food Fight Show Studios, uh, which is my home office in Annapolis, Maryland. There you go. Yeah. And and thanks for the kind words about the Food Fight Show. You said it's a really good one. I would only caveat that with it's a really good amateur podcast because um, I never want to set the bar too high. It's totally an amateur podcast. It is a lot of fun, though. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> it's good. And, and people love coming on the show and stuff. So, um, so. Uh, tell us about, about your background. Cause, um, you know, anybody who's does community management, one of the first things is you've got to have some, some level of credibility to be talking about the stuff you're doing. Tell folks about your background, kind of how it's evolved and, and how you've gotten to what you're doing today. Yeah, sure. So, um, my background, I started off, uh, if we go back, I don't know, more years than I care to say out loud, uh, I was working at a, a large enterprise software company, uh, well, actually, it was a it was a small startup software company that got purchased by a large enterprise software company, uh, and and um, while I was there, uh, I was actually working in the internal IT department. But my job there was basically building applications. In fact, I was in charge of building out and managing our customer and partner support extranet. Uh, and the mere fact that I called it an extranet just now kind yeah, of I dates think. it. You know, like, <laughs> exactly. what, what even is an extranet? You know, uh, for you younger folks out there that are listening, an extranet is this. It's a website that's available on the internet, but you have to log in to get to it. It's weird. Uh, so in any case, uh, I was working there. It got purchased by a large software company, uh, that was a German-based software company, and it really changed the culture uh, and and my role within that organization. So I actually left there and went over to sales operations of all places. But the reason I went to sales operations was because I saw uh, what we were doing was we were replacing our big Siebel implementation with a Salesforce.com implementation. And I saw the real value in 
not managing my own services, not managing my own software, and this whole idea of just making the business and the, and the people using the software more successful, switching over to Salesforce.com was really, really appealing to me. And so it was at that point that I decided to leave this big company and go become a Salesforce.com consultant. But before I did that, I called up my old boss and asked for a, for a reference. And he said, yes, sure, of course, I'll give you a reference. But I just started at this venture back startup, so I want you to come in here and interview first. I want right of first refusal. If you don't want this job, then I'll totally give you a good reference. There you go. Uh, and it was awesome because it was a venture back stealth startup, and I ended up getting the job there. I was hired as the director of customer support. But, you know, I just said some key words there. It was a stealth startup. Brian, you know one thing a stealth startup doesn't have? Uh, customers. Exactly. And I was the director of customer support. So think about <laughs> this. This is the best customer support job ever. If you think about most customer support folks, uh, they get called when things are bad. You don't usually call up the customer support department and be like, hey, man, your stuff is working great today. I just wanted to thank you. That Sorry. never happens. So for me, it was awesome. I was going to run customer support and no one was ever going to call me, at least not until we launched our product. But unfortunately for me, that lasted about three days in which uh, the CEO came into my office, and by that I mean like he turned his swivel chair and looked at me <laughs> and said, hey, Nathan, those, uh, those guys that helped build the prototype that got us funding, that allowed us to hire a director of customer support, I said, yeah, yeah, those guys are cool. He said, yeah, we just, uh, we just fired those guys because I don't really like them. And he saw the look of dread on my face, and he said, no, 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 don't worry. We've hired in a consultancy to finish building out the app. But we're going live in six weeks, so all we need you to do is build us a production infrastructure because, you know, you're the most senior technical person on staff now. Uh, so then I turned white as a ghost, but at that minute, at that very moment, I became a sysadmin. Uh, and it's, I think it's, it's, it's odd for someone to remember the, the exact moment when they became a sysadmin or when they became a real engineer. Like, that was my moment. It was my moment to shine. And I tell so you, you just you just swiped your credit card and spun up some Amazon instances and you were good to go, right? It was crazy because uh, that's kind of what I did. And at the big software company, it literally had taken me 18 months from the time I said, I want a new server. Here's the form filled out to the time I was able to log into a server. And at this new startup, like it was a brave new world. It took like 10 minutes max for me to like fill out a form. And next thing I knew, I had root access on a box that I would never see, that I would never touch. Uh, I also was the best sysadmin ever. The reason I knew I was the best sysadmin ever was because every command I typed into my shell, before I hit the enter key, I would copy that command and paste it into a wiki. That way I could always repeat whatever I did. And that's how I knew. Like I was totally safe. I could always just rebuild my infrastructure from scratch anytime I needed to. Of course, what I didn't realize was that the minute I hit save, that wiki became the obituary for what my infrastructure used to look like. Because uh, I don't know about you, Brian, but it's tough to maintain documentation and keep things fully up to date with what's actually happening in the real world. Yep, absolutely. absolutely. So, so, so someone came to me, a, a guy who was actually mentoring me, and he said, hey, there's this, there's this thing called Puppet, there's this other thing called Chef, and you know they automate most of the work that you do. And I looked him dead in the eye, and I said to him, I said, Tom, I am far too busy to automate. Leave me alone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, I laugh at today, but it's totally. It was totally the real thing. Uh, so a couple years later, I left that company. I went and was running web infrastructure at another company uh, that was in a data center. We were migrating to the cloud. We had adopted infrastructure as code, and from there, I, I started using Chef. I started hosting meetup groups. I found my way onto the Food Fight show. 
and and so within you know a year or two, uh, it became obvious to me that my real passion was helping others in the community adopt open source, adopt infrastructure as code, adopt this new crazy thing called DevOps. Um, and so I, I was doing that nights and weekends, and I decided that what I could do is maybe get paid to do that and spend my nights and weekends with my family, which to me sounded so much better. And so that's how I landed at Chef. Very cool. Very cool story. No, it's, it's interesting, I, especially, uh, you know, I, I, I hear about more and more people. I talk to more people that, you know, they think, okay, I'm, I, if, you know, I see certain people that are doing these things, the jobs look kind of cool or the skill set they have. You know, they must have learned over, you know, years and years and years. And I, and I keep trying to come back to them. I'm like, the way things are now, um, there's so much that's online so you can learn everything. You know, like you, you, there's meetups every night if you want to pick people's brains. And if you're doing it every day, like you can get really smart about a lot of this stuff. Like, I don't know. I, I, and, I, and I hate to poo-poo like people that have been doing this stuff for years and years. But I mean, like you can get pretty smart and authoritative, at least on certain things, like in a year, six months sometimes, sometimes 18 months. And, and if you're involved with the communities, like you're immersed in this stuff. Like people want to help you. They want to, they want to teach you as much as you're trying to connect them and all that stuff. So it's like, that's that story you told is sort of like the fabric of these things. I keep telling people about just get involved, start working on something and you'll be amazed at like how fast your learning curve goes. If you know, you put in some time on it, put in a few nights and stuff like that. That's absolutely the case. I mean, I, I, I love every engineer with a comp sci degree. I do not have a comp sci degree. Uh, but I did, you know, the minute I found, uh, and for me, coming to open source started through Ruby on Rails, actually, because that was the framework that we were building in at that startup. Uh, but through Rails and then into Chef, I found this community of people out there in the world, people that had never met me, uh, could never put a face to the name but who were willing to help. They were sharing code. They were helping me become better. And from that point on, like all I've ever wanted to do is give back and make that journey easy for someone else. Yep. Yep. Now I want to, I want to throw something out. I want to try and see, see if I'm, if I'm on track here. So, um, you know, we've had, we've had Michael Ducey on the show. He's a, he's a friend of the show. We listen to sure. his podcast. We listen to your podcast. Um, one of the things I've, I've noticed, and in, in his his podcast focuses on it a ton, but I'm, I'm seeing it more and more of people um, that work at Chef, whether it's at you know like Velocity Comfort or, or just one of the other meetups or something. Like, it feels like Chef is uh, is spending a lot, a lot of time sort of embedding themselves with um, whether they're their customers today or they're just customers that are going like, I know I've got to start you know not only using more modern applications, build modern applications, but do DevOps like. Is that something that sort of organically happened where they just said, you guys deal with this a lot. Can you come help us? Or is that an active thing you felt like you needed to get, you know, even closer and embed yourself with customers and help them do their own internal DevOps days? And is that, is that a sort of a, a, I don't know, a big push going on at Chef these days? Yeah, sure. I think it's, I think it's really a combination of the two. I think, uh, frankly, if, if, if you ask people at Chef, we will be the first ones to tell you that, yes, there is a technology gap. Like you have to move to a place where you're where you're able to automate all of your infrastructure. You can manage your infrastructure as code because what you want to do is build a higher velocity organization where you're shipping out code more frequently and safely. Uh, but we all know that it's a myth 
to think that what you can do is just throw a tool at the problem and that will solve the problem. Uh, we know that you know without also changing your culture and your process and really thinking and being intentional about how you're going to do that, you're, not, you're simply not going to succeed. Not succeed on a large scale. You might be able to succeed on a project here or there or make some small incremental improvement, but frankly, incremental improvement is not enough. We need What we're seeing uh, across the industry is that we really need to help and bring these customers and companies into a place where they're, it's a full transformation. Um, And in order to do that transformation, you really can't separate your culture and your tooling. Your culture enforces your tooling, which reinforces your culture, which reinforces your tooling and your process and your teams and the way that you work together. And really, to me, DevOps has always been about the way that people work together. It's not been about a tool. Yeah. And that's, this is sort of the thing that Adam talks about, sort of the chef style, is it Ninja? Dev, Newton? Yeah, the chef style uh, DevOps Kung Fu. Right, okay. right, 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 right. Um, so that's, so that's almost like a culture, I don't want to say framework that you guys, you guys are, are talking to customers about, but it is, I mean, there's a, it, it's as much about sort of culture and process as it is technology. Yeah, it absolutely is. When we look at, when we look at DevOps, um, you know, it's, there's a there's a really nice thing about DevOps. It's this it's this banner term that many many people are getting behind. It's picked up a lot of steam and focus over the last six years since the term was coined. However, with that comes a lot of misinformation. A lot of frankly, vendors want to come in and sell you the DevOps tool. So you sprinkle the DevOps, and all of your problems are solved. And, right. and we we simply know that's not the case. So we've come up with this idea of a DevOps style Kung Fu. And the idea there is that, you know, there are many, many different schools of Kung Fu. And when you see Kung Fu, you know Kung Fu, but you might not know the school of Kung Fu that it's from. So the DevOps style Kung Fu really looks at the principles that are kind of universal to everyone practicing DevOps. It looks at the forms that we practice on a regular basis, but then it also makes a a big distinction between the, the sort of principles and forums forms to down to the application and the application is so unique within an individual or within an organization and i think it's the uniqueness of this application of these principles and forms that make it so hard for people to define and agree on what devops is right right now so you you were sort of talking about it right like devops uh for for the ones that have been around it for a long time you know you you sort of get it um but like you said, it's it's like everything else in our industry. Like it becomes a little more mainstream. It sort of gets adopted by big vendors or by consultants or whatever, you know, cloud went through this whole thing. What does that mean? And like one of the things I notice, and, and, I, and I'm kind of curious because you're out in front of people like all the time, whether you're, you know, engaging with an end customer or you're doing a meetup or something like there's, there's a part of there's a part of DevOps that sort of embraces the whole like unicorns and sparkly rainbows. And, you know, we're kind of unique and, and then there's a part of it that there's, you know, there's a certain amount of sort of blowback coming from the industry of going like, oh, okay, if they're talking about that stuff, it must be bullshit. And like, how, how much do you feel like, like you've got to sort of, you know, be a showman about it and, 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 and be like, I got to get your attention because this is different, but there's this really cool outcome that happens with it. And how much are you like, uh, I got to kind of frame it in this, it's different thing. Like, like walk yeah. through, you know, like that's. I'm trying to figure out, like, does that drive you crazy or is that stuff you kind of embrace because it's, you know, it's change and changes, you know, can be fun or it can be painful? Right. So certainly for, from my personal perspective, for the most part, I absolutely embrace it. And here's, here's kind of why I'll, I'll actually step away from DevOps for a second and talk about meetups. 
So um, I love to go to meetups. I've organized meetups for, I don't know, five years or longer. So I've been to many, many meetups. But I do remember the first meetup that I went to. And I also recognize the look on people's face when I go to them and say, hey, what you should do is go to a meetup, especially if they've never been to a meetup before. And the look on their face is, I just asked you to go to work after you're done at work. Yeah. But what I want to do is go to family or go to pub or go to sport when I'm done with work. I don't want to go to more work. And it goes back to kind of what you said. Uh, it really is you'll find this community of people that are so supportive and will help you with your education, will help you advance your career and your skill set. Um, and so for me, yes, uh, if you walk into corporate America or a large enterprise, you're unlikely to find people getting excited about unicorns and goats and sparkly DevOps princesses. But we really are changing and, and have to be sort of these change agents, and we want them to start thinking differently. Heck, if you look at uh, some of the videos that I've made for ChefConf, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's the DevOps on the farm video. I was watching that one, yeah. Like that is uh, it's a completely zany, crazy thing um, that is a juxtaposition of, you know, if you watch it, it's ridiculous. If you listen to the words, they're, they're, they're all real. Like everything I'm saying there, maybe not everything. Most of the things I'm saying there are real things that you need to consider as you start adopting DevOps and changing the way you work. Yeah. Yeah. How, how much do you find – one of the things I always find is – and it's not always so much DevOps, but but when you're talking about you know, uh, you know, know, helping companies kind of modernize, um, you know, I, I feel like sometimes we get a little carried away with everybody wants to talk about Uber and Netflix and Etsy and and – you know, I get the sense sometimes that companies are like, hmm, I've heard that one before, or I don't feel like we're that kind of company. Like, do, do you do you find that as you engage with, with, with customers and clients and people in the, in the meetup communities and stuff, like there's enough smaller examples that people can go, okay, cool. I don't have to relate to that huge one that, you know, totally changed everything they did. Or are those still good, valid um, kind of examples because they are so big and people can go, okay. Maybe I, I want to aspire to something bigger. Yeah, I think that those those definitely uh, represent both things that are super awe inspiring, but also super easy to say. You know what? That's that's not going to work here. That that's not my company. Uh, either I'm I'm too large and too old, or that's just not the way we think. We're not ready to embrace all of that. Uh, and so I think that the the things like you know like Ducey's podcast, the Goat Farm. Uh, if you look at things like the DevOps Enterprise Summit, you can find out there that there are stories of large companies, slower moving companies that are embracing this change. And frankly, if you look at change across the IT industry, like how has our workflow changed? How have our processes changed? It does take a while, right? There are. Uh, organizations that are slower to adopt the new the new changes, but I think that we what I what I like to do is go and find those folks. If you look at say a Mark Schwartz from the U.S. Citizens and Immigration Services, they're doing really interesting things in the government. If the government can do it, we we all can do it. Right. And I think it does. You know, it takes the right approach. What you're not going to do is leave dinner tonight saying tomorrow we're going to be a DevOps company and we're going to follow all the DevOps practices. Everything's going to be continuously delivered and lean. And you come in the next day and that's how everything works. That obviously isn't going to happen. You have to, and I think that larger companies understand this, but you have to invest. You have to invest in your people. You have to invest in your process. And the net outcome is going to be something that is absolutely powerful and beneficial to you and your customers. Yep. 
Yeah. So, uh, so we've talked a bunch about community so far. I want to, I want to touch on technology at least a little bit. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit, a little about config management. So, um, you know, people know chef people, you know, know puppet, they know those names. Uh, I, I have to imagine you guys get a little bit tired of people always kind of going, yeah, chef or puppet. It's sort of like, yeah, I'd like a Coke or, you know, diet Coke or, you know, is Pepsi fine? That kind of thing. But what's what's really kind of going on? What's what's new in the industry? Because there's a part of it that's what you guys do, which is just block and tackle stuff. Like mm-hmm. you know, document your code, get it into you know uh, you know code repositories, automate as much as you can, and and then you know there's stuff like Docker that's coming out, and people are kind of enamored with this idea that hey, I can just put everything in a Docker file, and I'll sort of eliminate the need for this stuff. Like what's What's causing some of that, and what what are some of the realities as you get into actual large deployments where maybe that mindset doesn't necessarily work, or it you know it it leaves some big gaps? Yeah, sure. I think that the thing that's driving that is um, no surprise, really. This this idea of containerization and and Docker and, and and all of that stuff. If you look at who it's really targeting, it's it's. Uh, of huge benefit to the developer, yeah. the software engineer that's sitting down to build the application. And frankly, what the what the application developer cares most about is I want to get this application built, and I want to I want to get it shipped out. Um, and so there, it's so easy with Docker uh, or with containers to to make that happen in a very fast way locally on your on your workstation on your laptop, yep. and then you can take that same container and push it all the way through to your production environment. If you look back at things like like test-driven development, following that workflow, a developer does not want to sit and wait for integration tests to run you know, for an hour. Tests have to be very quick. Well, with a container, I can also spin up an environment super quick, sub-second time to spin up that environment. So I think that that's, that's really driving a lot of uh, a lot of the popularity around that. Yeah. And does that, you know, from, from a chef perspective, does that change the way you guys think about what you do? I mean, is, you know, sort of going from machine centric to, you know, say container centric, or, I mean, is that, have things changed a lot from, you know, machine centric to VM centric to container centric or not so much? I mean, it's still the same base principles and, you know, best practices and so forth. No, I think it's definitely changing. Uh, it's changing a lot of things. Look, when you went from, from a, a, a physical machine to a virtual machine, essentially, uh, from from an outside perspective, it's still just a virtual. Uh, it's still just a physical machine, right? You have the full operating system, and and it runs as if it were a physical machine. And then the same thing with cloud instances. Yes, the deployment topology changes. The bits that you have to worry about, like when you move to the cloud, you no longer have to worry about how many ports do you have available in your network switch. That's someone else's concern. Yeah. You don't have to worry about that, right? But when you move to a container. Um, frankly, there was there was some time when Docker first started, you know, gaining popularity, where we were thinking about, well, how do you run Chef Client inside of that container? Which, of course, is the wrong way to look at a container. A container is not just a little; it's not just a little VM. It's it's mm-hmm. it's something that's completely different, and so that does uh, cause us to, you know, look at things much much differently. One of the great benefits that we see in the Chef community around Docker is when you're testing your infrastructure as code. As I mentioned it is super fast to spin up a Docker container. So what if I can start testing some of my uh, chef configurations, my chef recipes, directly in a Docker container locally? It's certainly faster than spinning up a virtual machine locally. Yeah. But I think there are still there are still a bunch of unknowns, a bunch of questions that we have to ask about containers. And I think that, that um, 
maybe not as much containers, but certainly with Docker. Of course, the container technology has been around for a long, long time. Right. Docker does make it so much easier, though, and the developer experience is so good. And that's really where I think you know you're seeing a lot of that adoption happen. Yep. But when it comes to getting Docker into production at at a significant scale. There are definitely people out there doing it today. They, I would say they are much more on the cutting edge of, of that. There are still lots of questions that I think people have to really think about as they're, as they're moving to containers and as they're moving to Docker. Yep, yep. What about um, sort of, you know, if we, if we said sort of state of infrastructure as code, um, you know, it's, it's, getting, it's getting much more understood from a, the sort of server infrastructure, if you will. But what about sort of, the big iron boxes, the storage and networking stuff. Um, where, where is that in terms of like the stuff that's still a big box and then the stuff that's sort of becoming software defined? Like is, is, that, is that software getting better in terms of exposing APIs that, that you guys can automate and stuff like that? Or are those teams starting to embrace some of this a little bit more? Yeah, I think I think frankly what we're seeing is that the the community is clamoring for those big box things, you know, storage, uh, storage vendors, your your networking hardware. As a community, we want we want an API to all of those, and so that is we are starting to see that happen across the community and across the industry, and it's it's being driven not only by us at Chef. Of course, we want to allow you to automate more things. But it's the customers going to folks like, you know, like 3PAR or, or uh, EMC or whatever and saying, what I want is an API into your, into your application, into your box so that I can manage that. And we find really interesting things in the Chef community is a great example. Um, there's the F5 load balancer uh, and Target of all places, Target released an open source cookbook to manage their F5 load balancers. So if you step back, I don't know, five years, maybe not even that far, the idea of Target releasing open source software and, and that it being for a thing that's relatively complex, or certainly five years ago was relatively complex to automate, it's, it's, a, pretty, it's a pretty interesting thing. And it's a, it's a beautiful success story that I love to share with folks as well. Right. Well, and, you know, I'll, I'll give a simple example. When I was, uh, when I was at EMC you know, uh, a couple of months ago, um, you know, we, had a, we had a product that, that did object storage, so it sort of emulated mm-hmm. Amazon S3. And, you know, had an API, we really, you know, like you said, we, we didn't do a whole lot as a company to go, oh, well, okay, let me put myself in the customer's perspective from an ops perspective. Like, you know, we, we would sort of go like, hey, it's got an installer, so that's great. It'll be good to go. And hadn't really thought a ton about, okay, how do you manage this infrastructure as code? Um, I think we spent a week with, with some of your team that was like out in Seattle or Portland, mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly where. Um, the guys came in, banged it out, uh, basically built us, you know, a recipe that said, here's how you, you know, here's how you can deploy it. Here's how you can do upgrades or rolling upgrades. Um, like it's not a super complicated thing. So, you know, I, I think the big thing is like you said, you know, customers are going to push for it, but a lot of it was just, you know, when we were at a vendor is basically not thinking about your thing as software that runs on a box, but thinking about it as like, it's just an application um, because now it just runs on an x86 machine. And if you think about it like an application, then, you know, working with working with like the guys at Chef, like it's not hard to do because they do this stuff all the time. Exactly. And that's that's a key thing, I think, also that you've touched on there. When when we talk about infrastructure as code, it's it's key to remember that it's not automated infrastructure. It truly is infrastructure as code. Um, and the fact that, you know, the Chef framework and the Chef platform is built 
as as a very open API and, and, and as, a, as a full programming language, it means that we, as we build out the platform, we there's no way we can conceive of every problem that you're sure. going to need to go and attack. But because of the way the platform is built, it does make it very easy or relatively easy to add those extensions, add additional libraries, and and automate the things that in the past were not automatable. Yeah. So we talked about a little bit at the beginning where we said, like, you know, you were in your job, you were sort of, uh, you know, you had a big project to work on. You just, you know, you became you became a sysadmin overnight, and then you sort of grew yourself into the job, and you know, meetups helped, and open source helped, like. What do you, what, if somebody comes up to you after one of the meetups, they come and listen to you talk, you showed some of the stuff you do with, with chef, which if anybody gets a chance, go, go see Nathan present. Cause it's part of it's a show. It's fun. It, it keeps you updated, but it, it's very hands-on and stuff. Like if you had somebody who came up to you and said, like, this was the first time I've seen this stuff. What, what should I do? Like, what should the first couple of things I do so that a month from now I'm better at this or six months from now, like what's the, what's a good common answer you give those folks? Because I'm I'm a little worried that this stuff is moving so fast. These new things are moving so fast that we're we're not going to have enough people that um, can can get up to speed quick enough. So it's like what, what's the what are the first couple steps people should take? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Everything moves so so fast. In fact, I just held uh, earlier today. I held a webinar for Chef about how do you engage with the community, and a large part of engaging with the community is how do you how do you level up your chef skills, or how do you learn about new technologies at all. Uh, and so some of the things that I always recommend, um, you know, I don't, it doesn't really matter if it's chef or another, another framework. It's likely that whoever's putting out that framework has put online some tutorials and some learning material. I would say that, um, with chef always, I recommend people start with learnchef.com or learn.chef.io. Uh, we have great hands-on tutorials there. Of course there's documentation. I think, um, the docs sometimes feel a lot more like a reference guide, which is kind of what they are, than than about like a learning guide. Uh, and so, going to a place that will help you learn, not just describe the system, that is of huge value. Yeah, I th- I think um, just in order to stay on top of uh, the the latest technologies, I have a couple of words that I'd like to say there. The first thing you should do is uh, pick a medium that you like, whether that's books or podcasts, or meetups, or some combination of all of those things, and and dedicate some of your time to those things. I find, for me, podcasts are great. I listen to all kinds of podcasts. Uh, I love listening to them while I'm working out, while I'm riding in the car, you know, commuting, cutting the grass. Like, all of these things are great times to have a podcast on, and just be thinking about, you know, what's next, what's coming up. But the thing I'll warn you against, though, is there is so much, there's so much new and ever-changing, you do not have to be on the cutting edge. It is good to keep your finger on the pulse and know what's coming, but you also have to think very, very clearly and very intentionally about what are the outcomes that you want within your organization or for your career, uh, and, and make sure that you're working towards those and making progress every day towards those outcomes. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's great advice because especially, you know, I find too many people that I talk to go like, yeah, we listen to your podcast and a lot of that stuff sounds cool, but like we're multiple years behind that. So what can I do in the interim? So yeah, no, I think it's I would totally agree. It's you know, pick something that you're comfortable with, uh, keep it simple, you know, you know, stick with it for a little while until you you know you kind of get over the really awkward stage. 
Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to wrap this up, uh, before I, before I ask folks where they can go stalk you and find out and stuff, I want you to, uh, to sort of relive the little story that you told at the, at the, and I think you probably do it at a bunch of the DevOps meetups, but one of the things I get from people all the time is they go, uh, Brian, all the stuff you guys talk about, you know, whether it's automation or infrastructure as code is whatever, like I'm not a developer. And, and there's this sort of initial thing where they're like, oh crap, I can't participate in this because I, I don't have a computer science degree or I'm not a developer. And like, tell the story you told about the solar, the whole, uh, um, you know, Aerosmith run DMC sure. walk this way thing about like, right. you know, doing the role that you're supposed to do as opposed to becoming something that you don't necessarily think you are. Absolutely. So the, the story started actually, I was at a conference and I was talking to a developer uh, and I, it was shortly after I joined Chef, and I mentioned that I had joined Chef. And the developer looked at me, and he said, I, uh, I won't say the word that he said, the expletive that he said. And then he followed that with, hate DevOps. And when he said that, I looked at him funny, because to me, DevOps is a professional and cultural movement that's all about building high-velocity organizations. How can you hate that? But I understood uh, and understand that a lot of times when people say they hate DevOps, what they mean is, I don't like doing system things. I don't like running operations. I don't want to be a sysadmin. At the same time, I hear sysadmins saying, you know, I don't, I don't want to write code. I'm not a coder. To which I usually remind them, like, look, if I show you a bash script and an Apache configuration file, a Postgres configuration file, you're going to recognize every single one of those. Every single one of those has a component of code. So not only are you a developer, but you're a polyglot developer. So you are definitely a developer. But but the story kind of, uh, it was, I don't know, maybe a year or so ago, I was watching a show on National Geographic, and it was called The 80s, The Decade That Made Us. And I realized then that DevOps actually started in the 80s. And it started when Rick Rubin talked to Run DMC and talked to Aerosmith and said, what I think you guys should do is collaborate together on a song. And he told Run DMC, who was a rap band, to go and cover Aerosmith's Walk This Way. And of course, Aerosmith is a rock band. And back in the 80s, like the two never met. It was always, here's the rockers, here's the rappers. Well... In the interview that I saw on television, Run DMC went into the studio and they put on Aerosmith's record and they listened to it and they said, what is this? This is hillbilly bullcrap. I can't understand the lyrics. I don't even understand what they're saying. And to me, the, the sysadmin, the operations person in me lit up. I felt like a developer just handed me code and asked me to run it in production. And I looked at it and I said, this is hillbilly gibberish. I don't, I don't even know what to do. How should I run this in production? And then they cut to Steven Tyler, who was like, what are they doing to my song? They're totally destroying it. Which to me, kind of, I, I related that to a developer saying, hey, it works on my laptop. It works on my machine. Why can't you get it to run in the production environment? And then in the classic video, uh, the, the two were on opposite sides of a literal wall. And they were both playing the music, and, and, and Aerosmith got mad because Run DMC's sound was bleeding through the wall. And so they, they, in the video, they actually tore down the wall. And what happened was they came together on stage, but they didn't ask Run DMC to pick, a, pick up a guitar and start being rockers. They didn't ask Steven Tyler to start rapping. They brought these, these two experts in their own field together, and they said, what we want you to do is not do each other's job. What we want you to do is make that audience happy. And to me, that's DevOps. We are well-connected specialists that come together under a common goal. And that common goal is to drive delight and success for our customers. I like it. I, I, I like the story. The first time you told me, I went, yeah, that's, 
it, it might date itself a little bit, but it, it's a great example of, you know, you don't have to be the other, the other person. You have to just be really good at what you do. And then you start figuring out where those collaboration points are. So, yeah, um, and, and it absolutely does kind of date itself and date me for sure. But the, the other thing that I think kind of helps illustrate and drive home the point is that today we don't talk about rock bands and rap bands so much. Nope. There are so many crossover bands like in the future, we won't call it DevOps. We will call it IT or or probably what we will call it is business. And it will just be the way that business runs. Right. No, absolutely. Well, very cool. Listen, man, um, I'm going to kind of wrap this up. Um, where can people uh, stalk you, figure out where they can go meet you, buy you a beer, all that good stuff? Sure. The best place to find out what I'm up to is probably on Twitter. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter. You just have to misspell my first name just like my dad did. So on Twitter, I'm Nathan Harvey, and it's N A T H E N. H-A-R-V-E-Y on Twitter. Very cool. Very cool. Well, listen, folks, before I wrap this up, uh, I need to give a plug to a really good friend of the show. Uh, A lot of you guys know uh, John Troyer, who for a long time ran the VMware communities. Uh, He's off doing his own thing now called Tech Reckoning. Um, He's hosting an event uh, that's coming up here in uh, just a few weeks. Um, If you're interested in signing up, it's going to be a really good community event. It's out in California, um, out uh, just outside of San Francisco. Uh, But go check it out. Uh, It's uh, techreckoning.com. And if you use uh, the Cloudcast as a uh, coupon code, you get $100 off uh, the administration or the uh, registration fee. So if you're interested, if you're going to be out that way, go check it out. John runs a great event. It'll be lots of networking. So uh, for Aaron and for Nathan, uh, folks, thanks for listening tonight. Nathan, thanks for being on. Love all the... uh, Love all the experience, and uh, like we said, uh, go take a listen to his podcast as well. It's really good stuff. Folks, uh, with that, we're going to wrap it up, and uh, have a great night. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 